Welcome, everyone, to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 207, recording this on Tuesday, the 14th of February, 2017. I'm Steve Litchfield. This is one of the podcasts I do with Mr. Rafe Blanford, and he's here this week. Hello. Woohoo. Yes, he's let me back on the podcast this week, although uh, <laughs> probably more to do with me not being available as uh, other things interfere, but very pleased to be back and we'll have our usual roundup of all things uh, Windows 10 Mobile and extensions into other topics. Um, I suspect I'll also manage to be back next week, but then we've got MWC coming up and some interesting news from there, I'm sure. Maybe not so much from the Windows 10 mobile world, but perhaps we'll talk about that uh, in next week's podcast. But I know we've got a lot to get through this week, Steve. Um, So what do you want to start with? Well, let's start with a bit of research I've been doing, kind of collating, really, about a dozen stories over the last 12 months I was trying to work out what's new from the anniversary update, i.e. Redstone, to the creator's update, i.e. Redstone 2. And this has been kind of a moving goalpost, a changing target (laughs) story. And at some point, though, I had to sit down and say, okay, the mobile SKU, at least, is now feature locked. They are not going to add anything else to mobile at this late stage. In actual fact, I suspect they might squeeze in the nightlight thing where they, you know, the, the blue shift thing yeah. where they change the display tint at uh, uh, nighttime to save your eyes. But apart from that one bullet point, I think I've nailed just about everything. We've got about a dozen bullet points here, things that are genuinely new. And a lot of people have been saying that Windows 10 Mobile is just, just uh, treading water. There's very little added. Redstone to Redstone 2 is not a big deal. I disagree. And I, I, I disagree mainly because of the first two bullet points. So maybe we can take those first and then maybe cherry pick a few of the others. But these are all differences from Redstone to Redstone 2. And a lot of people listening to this podcast won't actually notice an awful of this because they've been jogging along for the ride on the inside of builds. So they've been getting these features one at a time and therefore they don't seem so new and groundbreaking. But for people who are back on production on the anniversary update, update aka Redstone, these are a big thing. First and foremost... Faster operation. Now, I've done several benchmark tests, uh, admittedly on different devices. So I haven't got more than one of any particular device to do an exact back-to-back test on exactly the same hardware. So take it with a pinch of salt. But anecdotally, looking at real-world operations, launching apps and uh, searching for things and so forth, booting up, um, I saw a, a boost of around about 20% by going to Redstone 2. And I'm just, I'm assuming that Microsoft has done some serious work under the hood in terms of optimizing one core and the kernels and all the the low-level code to really streamline it, not only for mobile, but for all the other hardware SKUs, things like HoloLens and Xbox and so forth. It's really, it's, it's, it's very worthwhile for them to spend a lot of time optimizing the really low-level under-the-hood stuff to make everything as fast as possible. And mobile benefits, I think, just by upgrading from anniversary update to creator's update, I think people listening to this will see an, an improvement on the more powerful devices with the RAM to support it, of course, a boost of up to 20%, which I reckon is very significant. Yeah, and I, I think you see some of this on the lower level devices as well. I mean, the the thing is, with all of these kind of performance improvements, often they're most notable where there is constrained resources available. And obviously, mobile, mm. in one sense, is more noticeable than on the desktop. Um, and so, yes, I think the kind of the biggest differentials in terms of, you know, the benchmarks, of course, you'll see them on the um, on the higher spec devices because that's where they've got the headroom. But in terms of the 
practical you know real world advantages maybe they're just as apparent on some of the lower end devices now when we talk about these things it's always quite difficult because kernel optimizations by their very nature are, are, are invisible and quite hard to measure and the other hand of this is that you kind of get the integration improvements where they're um optimizing for specific bits of hardware and chipsets which has long been the case in the mobile world actually applies to the desktop as well uh, in some cases perhaps not to quite the same extent but particularly when you talk about some of the systems on a chip and some of the performance improvements you can get by integration there and that can be in things uh, you know Qualcomm with their Snapdragon devices would always talk about uh, you know improvements to camera performance because they've done things that help across the imaging stack and that can be a combination of course of both hardware and software and it, it's much the same here so I mean Steve I know you've been doing um, some tests on this yeah uh, and yeah 20% sounds reasonable to me I suspect it might be uh, more in particular use cases but if you said 20% across the board yeah that's probably uh, a reasonable way to do it uh, and you're absolutely right to identify this as a, a significant advantage I mean Actually, one of the problems Microsoft now has is with the Insider program, these improvements do tend to trickle out and so are less notable than the Big Bang releases. It's something we talked about when um, they first talked about moving towards that strategy. And of all the mobile platforms, they've gone the furthest down uh, this route, it, 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 yeah. especially when you talk about public. I mean, yes, both Android and iOS also have a, a release cycle that's more than annual now. You know, you expect to see point releases, um, but not quite in the same way as it almost feels like Lego Blick brick after lego brick on windows uh, 10 that they, they've taken this approach and so you just it, it's less visible in general and you know if we were talking about this creators update um in previous years it would have been this is a big deal because it's it's like windows mobile 10.5 or 11 or yeah. uh, it feels like a 0.5 release to me uh, and, you know if people think about something like 8 to 8.1 it feels a bit bigger than that uh, but maybe not as big as 7.5 to 8 or eight to ten but i mean i don't want to get too caught up in that is uh, what i'm saying i guess is that this is just a bigger deal if not more so than the move that we see each year on android and ios when they up their version yeah, number by yeah. one uh, but people don't get excited about it in the same way and the, they're really interesting of course this is actually properly unified well uh, even that you have to qualify a little bit but there's certainly a lot more shared code between the mobile and desktop because you know, in the Mac world, there's a much more obvious separation, although they're starting to share more and more between the two platforms. It's not just the uh, the, the naming convention of the operating systems either with, you know, Mac OS and iOS and tvOS and watchOS. Uh, you don't really have an analogy in the uh, Android world, although it looks like Google is kind of moving that way. There'd be lots of rumors, you know, they're going to have Android um, available on more devices. You know, there's Chrome OS and all of that, but I don't want to get hung up on that. But actually, it is a big deal. And for Microsoft in particular, you know, Windows 10 is still getting lots of investment because, of course, it's its main desktop OS. And mobile definitely benefits from that, probably more than people realize. And as yeah. you say, this optimization is really interesting. Um, the second big point that you alluded to at the beginning, actually, you also see it, and that's in the Edge browser. Um, and given that web is so fundamental to a lot of uh, what we do in, on mobile, there has been, I, I think web has sometimes been de devalued because you've had the likes of Flurry talk about the fact that 80% or 90% of activity is in apps and only 10% is in a browser. Um, I, I think that's a bit of a misnomer in some ways uh, because actually a lot of the activity inside apps is happening in web views, which yeah. themselves are on uh, effectively browser usage. And you know the way some of the methodology works for that is interesting. 
But clearly, the browser, anyone would agree, it's one of the most important apps on the phone. And so seeing performance improvements there is really, really important. And it is is somewhere where sometimes you can get hang-ups, particularly if you're a power user with loads of tabs open. So um, you've got this list in some of the bullet points here. But for example, Steve, actually the architecture improvements um, to sort of stop one badly written web page or piece of JavaScript taking the browser altogether, that's really, really important. Yeah, and in fact, I don't see this very often on mobile. I guess that means I don't actually do that much browsing on mobile. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a fundamental change, really, so that uh, tabs do remain as independent as possible. And and some people, I know, they just live in the browser, even on the phone. And in, in those cases, yes, you don't, don't want one tab taking that the entire machine, because, of course, on mobile, it's not just a question of t- crashing Edge. Quite often, if Edge is going to crash, or then this, the whole phone has to be rebooted, and that might be significantly uh, inconvenient. Um, second thing, really, um, well, a couple of forward-looking things. That Microsoft Wallet support is better there, but of course, uh, that's still very much in the the in its genesis, really. Certainly in in the UK, and uh, I, I guess that deserves a feature all of its own and an investigation of its own race. So we'll save that one for the coming months. And of course, all of this is with the caveat that. The creator's update isn't actually finished yet, so not all of these things <laughs> yeah. are fully finalised, including, for example, uh, ebook uh, purchasing and reading. I mean, th- this does now work, and I have downloaded and I have a side-loaded EPUB and PDF files, and they you can read it in Edge. It's not the best ebook reading experience ever, but it does work, and it saves you having to find and install a third-party reader. So that I guess you could class that, that that really is a step forward for the platform as a whole. In terms of actually purchasing ebooks, I think I need to, again, I need to investigate that further. And a lot of the features that we've mentioned over the last few weeks on the podcast, of course, they do start as USA only. So there's a big caveat again, that if you're not in America, some of these things may not work yet. And, it, and it's fair to say, I mean, a lot of the things we talk about are enablers here, and it feels like a bit of a broken record whenever you talk about big updates, but you have to have them in place before you can see anything else. So EPUB is a, kind of a good example of that. On its own, it's pretty uninteresting because everyone will say, oh, I'll just buy my ebook through Kindle or, yeah. or whatever else. Um, and yes, you're absolutely right. You need kind of the end-to-end uh, service, but that's a bit like saying you need video codecs in order for Netflix to work. And so it's absolutely possible to see, and I think this will probably apply maybe more to Windows 10 in general, stuff being built on top of this to enable more things with PDF and EPUB. But it's nice to have, I mean, a lot of these things will inevitably feel like catch up to some of the other mobile platforms. You know, Microsoft Wallet is probably the best example of that. Um, But, you know, at the same time, you have to acknowledge these are new updates. This is significant. And uh, in terms of browser usage, actually having better text scaling uh, and zoom is important because you know even in an age where most websites are now responsive actually being able to zoom in to see a bit more detail um yeah. you can have more control with the individual rather than on on the website uh, you know again that's important and actually i was reminded of this by a conversation with someone who said oh yes i like responsive sites it's great and i should say responsive sites are one that basically formatted well on mobile for those that don't know that kind of have a, a fluid uh, their layout changes as you change the size of the window, but underneath they're running kind of the same underlying uh, code. Yeah. Um, uh, all about Windows Phone, an example of that. Actually, most sites, modern sites now now run that. But that's important. But they, they point out, I still want to be able to zoom in because my eyesight isn't great. And actually on a, a mobile device where you do have limited screen space, you know, that kind of support is important. And actually, it was one of the early problems with responsive sites. Typically, it was a bit difficult to zoom in. All that sort of stuff is be, being fixed. But also... 
then if you look at kind of the wider things, they're thinking about how web and apps work together. And we've talked about this idea of apps for websites and web to app linking. And obviously we've had uh, deep linking for a while, but as the barriers dissolve between web and apps, actually support for that kind of thing becomes more important because there's a user expectation that, you know, if you click on a link, it should open in the appropriate context or the appropriate app. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. At the moment, you go, okay, it's only a handful of apps using it. But when it works, you do, do, there is that kind of sense of satisfaction. And as I say, for me, as someone who looks at kind of this in the, the bigger picture, the things that are happening, you know, making that barrier between web and apps disappear is actually fundamental, uh, important to kind of getting a really great user experience where people don't have to think about, oh, I'll go to the website or I'll go to the app. And particularly when re-engagement and retention with apps can be quite difficult, because people are still going to use the discovery mechanism of the search box. Those kind of things, um, I, I think the user impact of them, like all of these enablers, is a bit small to start with, but you kind of can see the genesis of a really interesting idea. And, you know, deep linking, yes, it's been on Windows a while, Android and iOS. Um, and actually, iOS does a pretty good job of this already, but actually the way that Microsoft has chosen to implement this is, I think, very interesting um, and of course applies up to the desktop yeah. as well. And so you get that commonality of experience, which I, you know, I, I believe is fundamentally important if you're to make technology kind of you know, wider adoption or easier for people to use. And that's how it sort of becomes invisible or disappears into the background. I don't want people to make a decision about using web or using an app. It should just work and present them with the best possible experience, depending on the context and whether they've got an app installed and maybe it needs to prompt them to install that app or whatever the artifact happens to be. Yeah. That, that to me is fundamental to the future. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, our AAWP universal application programmed by our good friend Joe Blumino. Um, it, that it supports a web to app linking. Now, it didn't quite work in the future insider builds where I think it does in the current one. But like many uh, items in this long list and this feature, Rafe, anything that deserves its own article will get its own article. I don't want to just Excellent. rush it through. So at some point over the next week or so, I'm going to delve deeper into this and just check whether on the current insider build the number of which escapes me, uh, whether this actually works yet or whether we're still waiting for a final bug-fixed version. And, of course, Joe, I'm sure, is eager to, to, to tweak his code to work with it to make sure it's, uh, it's seamless. But in theory, yes, people can come across a web link and just a generic web page to allaboutwindowsphone.com slash whatever, and the, the Edge browser will leap in, um, uh, recognize that, and launch the appropriate installed application if one is available. So if they've got AWP Universal installed, it will open the application and straight to that story, i.e. Deep, deep linking and launching all in one go. So it's clever, there's clever engineering going on here behind the scenes, Rafe, and uh, hopefully people will appreciate it in the fullness of time. <laughs> um, other changes, uh, there are settings hierarchy changes, which they've always been a tiny bit... Um, unconventional in places and they've now been tweaked i'm sure they'll carry on tweaking those but they do make more sense there's now a new apps section for example which is it's rather than scatter the app yeah. settings around the different hierarchy um it's one of those things yep. i was gonna say it's one of those things that seems to change on every platform on every yep. version depending on what the user t testing is dictated for that particular one uh, i have to admit my personal preference is for sort of broad grouping by function and then to have app settings also accessible in the same place so you've got one place to go uh, and as they've done it uh, recently now, also put a search in. So if you can't remember what grouping or what the exact name is, it will bring it up for you. Um, and you know, integration with Cortana, yeah. of course, that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a camera improvement, so, which is always good to see for us, a camera aficionado like me. At, <laughs> a Windows 10 camera is indeed very slightly faster startup. You you really wouldn't notice it unless you were timing it with a very accurate stopwatch. But I, I having dashed between different uh, platforms, different devices so much on my phone show work with all the different uh, news cutting-edge smartphones, I still go back to the Lumia on ten twenty almost really with that uh, Windows camera interface um, with the uh, the icons in the easy mode and then you tap and you get the full range of manual controls with the concentric rings. It's just wonderfully thought out. Um, I'm glad that Microsoft has continued to develop it despite most of the original Nokia programmers and imaging teams seem to seemingly have left. Um, for pastures new but there is still work going on and it's still carrying on working very well and if it's getting faster then that's fine too and the, we did mention some of the ui tweaks in a previous story so we'll try and put that in the show notes as well glance screen can now be turned off uh, when charging if you prefer or if you don't want that red glow or blue glow or whatever lighting up your bedroom faster windows hello I, I i've debated this with some of the guests recently rafe um some of the animation is now missed out for speed but I, I still can't see why they can't just get rid of the animation altogether perhaps the first couple of times someone authenticates via via uh, iris recognition for example then by all means put the, the animation up make them feel at home make them feel welcomed after the first couple of times they've got the hang of it why can't they just forget the animation maybe or maybe that can be a setting i omit a, a animation after the first couple of authentications yeah it, it it does seem like it would be a better way to do it i mean it, it's interesting we got very excited about irish recognition but actually the kind of time and performance things does to me suggest that it's sort of behind fingerprint and you know certainly looking at yeah. device like the x3 the preference is probably on fingerprint there and with these things it's always difficult to know where the delay is actually coming is it actually about the display of those animations or is something in the background that that animation is there essentially <laughs> to, 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 to hide it and actually that's a well-known trick on on mobile you know yeah. you put in an animation that does of course have a bit of an overhead but relatively speaking on these new devices animations are tiny in the overhead um if there's genuinely that actually it's an artificial delay that does seem to be pretty stupid yeah. to me but i don't know to be fair i don't know enough about it and i i find it difficult to believe that they're they're putting an animation at the last second solely to just make it look nicer uh, and you know actually what i want to see is work out how long they actually need and fit the animation or yeah. the graphics to that time rather than you know, as you're yeah. saying, uh, artificial, you know, so that's a good example of another, you know, hopefully, you know, the user being put first. Um, you've also got improvements all over the place on, on little things. So like the ability of third party alarms to break through Cortana quiet hours, which you know, used to go, of course, it should be like that. But presumably that was something in the APIs that, that didn't quite work. So you expect third party alarms to behave like the standard uh, clock application yeah. Um, there's some nice things about being able to reset applications, which might seem like a, a bit of a edge feature, but actually when you do have problems with an app, you know, the advice has always been uninstall it and then reinstall it. This is a way to do it without having to go through that, that full process. So, you know, it clears the uh, cache and it, it essentially has it as if you'd uninstalled and then reinstall yeah, the app. Yeah. So again, time saving, um, you know, there are other Cortana improvements as well. Um, for things like reminders, um, the performance in general, for example, you can also have uh, control of music back, uh, playback in uh, select applications. I think it's iHeartRadio and iTunein uh, Radio, I think it was. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that'll be extended to more, you know, available as an API. Given there's so much activity around voice control at the moment, again, it's one of those things that just makes 
uh, a lot of sense to me. And so a lot of these improvements are, are, are quite small and we get, you know, things around the new Bluetooth APIs. We mentioned um, them a little while back, um, you know, that helped with uh, the notifications on smart watch- watches and some of uh, the fitness device, all those kind of things, um, again, make it uh, Windows 10 Mobile a better citizen in that kind of multi-device world. The you know, enterprise updates as well. Uh, probably also worth talking about con- Continuum, Steve. Yes, Continuum continues to improve. No pun intended. Well, pun actually intended, yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of stability and remembering where the application's got to, I think it's nearly there now. I mean, when you disconnect your device from Continuum and reconnect it, you don't get all of the content on screen that was there before you connected but it's all nearly there the applications are obviously still running on the phone they're still there in ram they're still there being managed by the os and at the bottom of the screen in the taskbar section on continuum you now get a little uh, a line by each of the icons to show you that they are running and they're just clicking on them with your bluetooth mouse or whichever your chosen control method is that then brings them back and yes they are then exactly how you left them so we're kind of nearly there and it was um, i ranted in the last podcast i'm not sure whether you had time to listen rafe with anthony fear basically ranting about my experience with the hp laptop and how buggy it is and it's a sh- it's a crying shame because continuum itself is 99 percent there and it's only because that that particular hardware accessory was so buggy. It ruined the experience. And it really wasn't Microsoft's fault. It wasn't Windows 10 Mobile's fault. It wasn't Continuum's fault, as far as I can see it. I'm 99% convinced it was just down to HP's buggy firmware. So, But I, I've had a great experience with the Microsoft Display Dock and the HP Desktop and uh, plugging them into different monitors and TVs. It's been really quite rock solid. And, and you may have noticed in most of the Universal Windows Platform app reviews, if they are a UWP, if they support Continuum, I always 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 put in a photograph of them running in continuum mode so people can see how the display remaps and lays out and they see the device in shot proving that it's not smoke and mirrors this genuinely is running in continuum mode so there's a lot arriving in redstone 2 for continuum if you've been on the fast insiders ring as we say you will have been noticing and playing with all this for months or then this may be old hat to you but for people who are back on that anniversary update from late last summer this, this would be a major improvement if they're using continuum yeah yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say Continuum was unusable in its sort of Redstone 1 state, mm-hmm. but it's fair to say I haven't been using it for kind of mainstream work or everyday activity. I've actually had to make an effort to use it in order to to test things out. Yeah. Um, I think it'll get a lot better in this creator's update. I do wonder whether um, we, we were kind of, we've talked about this, and so I don't want to go into too much detail, the, the idea of sort of getting proper window support you know i it behaves properly like a desktop that's uh, as i understand it still waiting for the next version redstone 3 that will be the icing on the cake that i think would probably draw me draw me back in but i'll give it another go on redstone 2 so i mean i I think that would be maybe a disappointment to highlight that um, for all the attention and volume given to continuum with the launch of Windows 10 Mobile and some of the devices, and particularly something like the Elite X3 and the laptop devices, it's kind of a shame that hasn't moved forward more quickly. But I think that's also a reflection of the fact it is kind of a cutting-edge feature and it is something that's um, probably not being that widely used at the moment. So there's always going to be a prioritization uh, question. I mean, we're always eager for the future to arrive. And when it does arrive, we think, okay, it needs to be a little bit better. Um, that that's all, always true. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm sure somewhere in this article, Steve, you made the comment about this is what should have launched with uh, Windows 10 Mobile last time <laughs> round. Um, yeah, that's always true true of any of these updates. But 
you know, yeah, so it, it's good to see continuing. I mean, there. I mean, we're not. I don't think we need to read through all the updates because go and have a yeah, look yeah. at this yeah. article because it, it it gives you a good summary of things. I think the one thing that's probably uh, worth mentioning is there are more improvements to UWP in some of the usability elements, and we've actually mentioned uh, some of them already in terms of integrations and resetting applications. Um, but also, Microsoft is continuing to push UWP kind of more broadly. Um, on the desktop as well as the kind of uh, in the future we're going to get the compatibility across x86 and some of those apis coming as well and so i suspect a lot of work is being done in preparation for that which isn't particularly visible in kind of end user features uh, but you know if there was any doubt about it which hopefully there shouldn't be from talking to us you know, uwp are absolutely the apps of the future both on um, uh, desktop uh, and obviously on mobile as well yeah, we should just mention there is one thing that, that has been taken away from Redstone to Redstone 2. Yes, and it's interesting because I was one of the users. Now, we started out in Windows Phone 8.1 with Kids Corner, the idea that you can give your smartphone to your child, you know, five, six, seven-year-old, and uh, it would boot into this special Kids Corner mode in which all the child was able to do was run the games that you'd specified or the apps that you'd specified. Great idea. I used to use that with, I've got some um, small nephews and nieces. Great idea. Then Kids Corner got taken away. So I thought, no problem. They've now got Apps Corner, which is the same idea, but presumably with a slightly more generic wider use and fully integrated with Windows 10 Mobile. I thought, this is brilliant. This is Windows 10 Mobile doing the same thing. Um, and again, I would kit, um, kit Apps Corner out with some games and a few bits and pieces for my nephews and nieces, and they were happy. And then they go and take away Apps Corner. So we've now got <laughs> no method whatsoever of safely handing your Windows 10 mobile smartphone to your small child or relative. Um, and I had to hand my 950XL in a kind of a, uh, a bored child emergency to my seven-year-old niece the other day. And she had it for three hours unsupervised. And I came came back to a start screen that was unrecognizable and all sorts of things messed around. And there's nothing I could do about it. Now, my gut feel is that Microsoft got rid of Apps Corner because they're planning to build, bring in perhaps Redstone 3, which is now six months away, sadly, but a way you can do what you could on the desktop, which basically you can say, OK, I'm signing out of my account on this phone and I want to sign in on a child's account. Uh, and quite literally, the, the, this multitasking smartphone stroke pocket computer becomes a multitasking multi-account computer. And that will make absolute sense. And surely that can be... Um, achieve somehow within the start screen UI, somehow within settings that can be implemented. And if that's about to make an appearance, then I forgive Microsoft for taking away Apps Corner. But at the moment, I'm a bit peeved. Yeah, I mean, I didn't use Apps Corner. And I have to admit, apart from Steve, I don't know anyone who did, which is, <laughs> I suspect, one of the reasons it's gone. But yes, this idea of multi-user support has been kind of talked about on lots of uh, you know platforms and Android and iOS have kind of both made moves in that direction without it ever happening and it, it, it actually made more sense on shared tablet devices um amongst yeah. the family but and i'd kind of like to see it then and it, i guess it being pushed down from desktop makes a lot of sense maybe less of a project because most people aren't willing to hand their phone over or at least they want to do it under close supervision um but yeah it, it seems like an obvious obvious candidate and I, I suspect you're right here there will be some kind of multi-user you know quick switching support and I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's possible to get a, an application that allows you to you know, press a button and kind of log you off and then ask the other person to log in. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether it could ever be intelligent enough to, you know, and, and this is maybe more for tablet devices, um, recognize on the Windows, hello, you know, whose fingerprint or whatever it is and, yeah. and log them in an appropriate context. There's definitely room for kind of moving out some of the friction from sharing 
devices within a family and while as i say the emphasis might be on on tablets in many people's minds i see no reason why that couldn't also be used on phones and actually you know that there is an increasing use case of basically handing your phone across to um, a friend uh, you know either to get them yeah. to do something or look at something and i think probably most people would understand it when i said you know there's some anxiety in doing that in some <laughs> cases because you know you've got everything on your phone yeah. and even if it's hidden behind you know, a password or something in terms of the application level stuff. No, it's it's just you, you, you don't do it. You know, you, yeah. you don't expect to sort of hand it off like that. Um, and so it's kind of, it, it surprises me we haven't seen more activity in this space just in general um, in, in mobile yeah. and not just specifically to Windows 10 mobile. Yeah, I think Microsoft's playing a long-term game, as we, <laughs> we've mentioned before. If this doesn't happen to Redstone 3, I, for one, will be disappointed. But I'm sure, as you say, that this, this feature wasn't used by everybody. So maybe we can just cut Microsoft a little slack. As long as the multi-account, multi-user support is coming in, aided by biometrics, then who are we to argue? But um, talking of long-term games, um, the HP and the Elite X3 system, they're, they're certainly playing a long game. But this was announced at almost a year ago, Rafe. You were playing with this, I think it was a Mobile World Congress, was, yeah. 2016. And it's now almost MWC 2017. And the X3 and its a system with the laptop and the, the desktop and so forth is still really only creeping out in some markets and in turn some quantities and being pushed and advertised and promoted and the dealers are being trained and all of that. It seems like HP's genuinely does work on a different timescale. We're so used to consumer companies where you get a, a, a tease, then you get a launch, then you get retail two weeks later, then you get a sales peak. And then six months later, that phone is effectively if not obsolete, it's effectively old. With the Elite X3, HP really does seem to be playing a long-term game where it was a year to sort of get it um, broken in, fixed up, um, bug sorted out, get everybody trained up, and then a year after that, so 2017 onwards, then they're going to start um, including a, in lots of vertical applications and enterprise use cases. I li linked to one of them, actually, with the, the, the quote, mobile retail solution, one of the first uh, HP first-party sort of jackets that sort of fits it sits on the top of the X3 and gives it barcode scanning. Um, but in view of this this long-term game by HB, I felt I had to, people will call it a cop-out, but I'm saying I'm not going to deliver the version of part three of my full review of the, certainly of the laptop. I'm not, and I'm not going to deliver a final verdict on the X3 itself because they haven't got all their, their, their ships in a line, if you were. The, the laptop clearly isn't working right yet. They're going to have to go away, fix the firmware. That will happen. This is an excellent piece of hardware. Um, if that comes back to me, as they promised, in a couple of months' time, we then will have the Elite X3 on the creator's update, i.e. That, you know, that will be the production OS. It'll have new firmware. It'll have a laptop with new firmware that finally works. Hopefully, they'll have better working trackpads as well. And all of a sudden, that Elite X3 will suddenly make sense. And I guess my only question to you is, apart from do you agree with my assessment of HP's game plan, is, is it going to be... Is it going to be too late even so, given that the X3 specs were cutting edge in uh, early 2016? Are they still worth looking at and uh, phasing over in 2017? Uh, it's, it's, it's a good question, this, because most of my time, I think, with a consumer hat on and the knee-jerk reaction is, no, of yeah. course it's not good enough. Um, and it's going to be obsolete because there'll be uh, new hardware you know, new specifications, new expectations around. Yeah. Um, and certainly if it was Android or even iOS, you know, you sort of go, they've got another year and then <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the device done and done and dusted. It's possible, of course, that we'll see HP update it maybe in a year's time or something like that. I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility, even if it was just sort of internals. 
Yeah. Um, I, I do feel that maybe you've been a bit kind in this kind of part three in, in what's kind of a summary to date. But at the same time, I think you make a, a perfectly reasonable point in that judging it with that consumer hat on is perhaps a disservice to it. Yeah. And, you know, judging the things we've, we've come out and actually you've got the article about the mobile retail solution and we talked about the pogo pins, you know, I wonder actually whether that will see the light of day in a meaningful way or whether there will be third party accessories. But it's entirely possible because we are talking about a device that sort of crosses over between that consumer smartphone, enterprise smartphone boundary, and then starts to get into you know, industrial appliances. I mean, honestly, for me, it's hard to see past Android in that sphere. There's no reason why HP can't enjoy some success with this. And I, I wonder what that looks like for that. For them. You know, is it the sale of loads and loads of devices? No, I suspect not. It's actually about kind of being part of a wider solution package that HP as a company will will be providing to its uh, yeah. it, its clients. And so in that sense, I think, yeah, you can give it a, a bit of leeway, you know, when you are focusing on it, it that. But I think a lot of the people listening to this will be kind of, further along the spectrum towards the consumer end of things and you know, may have thought about picking up this device or may have picked it up and I think can quite rightly be a little bit disappointed and frustrated that things have come along because you know w- when it comes down to it if you have announced a product and I'm, I'm you know don't want to focus too much on the laptop because actually there's a there's a lot more to it than that and then it comes out and it doesn't really work I, I think you have admirable patience Steve but perhaps we could have I, I think it's maybe fine to be negative in the judgment, but then with the caveat that it gets um, better in time or, you know, it's still being worked on. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, in your conclusion, you've kind of given the caveat first and then said, and the negative is it's not working. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's just uh, semantics because I think actually you've made it clear to people. Yeah. Don't buy it now, but it, there's potential for it in the future. And I, I think that's fair enough. And anyone you know, you're obviously entitled to to disagree with that, but hopefully we've made it clear what we think. Um, and I would be disappointed if someone went away and bought it and then said, "Oh, but you know, you reviewed it and said, it, you know, a bit of patience on the on the site." It's again, no, we we kind of gave you all the information. If you then decided about that, that was that was on you. And I mean, just to make it clear, we don't have any special insight into HP's roadmap about when there might be software updates or what they're going to do. We're making an assumption that they're going to continue to support it. And the fact, you know, they are announcing things or like this uh, mobile retail solution certainly would would support that. It'll be interesting to see what they do show off at MWC. I, of course, will we'll go and have a look at that. I suspect, you know, last year they were kind of showed it off as this is coming later in the year. I suspect in some senses what we'll see at FWC is this is now a product that we feel is, you know, ready. Um, I might question that when it comes to the laptop, but certainly that is ready for them to start pushing into their enterprise uh, salespeople and saying, you know, you can take this out and show it to people and go, isn't this amazing? Isn't this great? Um, but it, you feel sorry for HP in some ways because the Elite X3 is always going to suffer from this um duality of perspective when people talk yeah. about it from the consumer perspective um and i suspect hp aren't really interested in that and certainly but based on some of the conversation i've, I've had with them uh, that's true and so in one sense that you know they've had the problem they've launched this really interesting high-end device arguably the best spec the most interesting windows 10 mobile device um if there were other devices around you know yes, uh, say yes, uh, yeah. a lumia 9 
three five or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> yeah. um, or Microsoft's new Surface Phone, actually far less criticism would be directed at it. But it's it sort of almost isolated on its own. You know, yeah. people want it to prop up Windows 10 Mobile, and we're we're probably guilty of some of that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you can't talk about the Elite X3 without understanding the context properly. And hopefully we've got that across. I suspect we are way more sympathetic and patient than <laughs> you know most phone reviewers are. But I would hope that's actually partly because we understand where where it's coming from. Um, and actually, I would strongly encourage, as with all our coverage, people to listen and then make a decision based on or, or make up their own mind about things. You know, we're not we don't want to tell you how to think or what to do. We'll try and give you the information that enables you to be better informed and hopefully entertained as well. Yeah. And if you think about I mean, talking about a long term game, it's, it's, it's dramatically more long term than you might even think. If you think of the last few couriers who came up to your door or to your office and the devices they were using that you think the things you had to watch them prodding, usually with resistive screens and usually that you had to sort of sign with a back of a biro or something. Quite a, no, a lot of these are still running versions of Windows Mobile, for example. They're almost 10-year-old devices or 10-year-old operating systems, embedded embedded systems, customised instances of the OS on custom hardware. And the X3 is just part of this. I think if HP say that part of their plan is to sell uh, three million of these in an enterprise de- deployments in 2019 and 2020. I mean, they're looking three years, four years in advance. And, and that's just something you do not see in the consumer marketplace. So you really do have to get your heads around that. And we were at the HP Together, Rafe, and they gave us the spiel. And that was genuinely their feel. This wasn't a in anywhere consumer device. In fact, they were quite shocked at some of the consumer tests I was doing in their offices, kind of approaching it like I'd uh, approached the latest iPhone, for example. I, I think they, hopefully after all this coverage, they've got the sense that we're, we're in, it, in it for the long term as well and we can see Indeed. what they're trying to do. But just, yeah, think of the some of the Windows mobile uh, devices you know, from 10 years ago. You still see in use today in companies, in businesses, in enterprises, and there's no reason why the HP Elite X3 can't be part of that same kind of vision. So yeah. that's, that's why I'm cutting them slack and I, at the same time I've been completely critical where I think criticism is justified it is ultimately for a smartphone enthusiast an AWP ultra fan uh, it is going to be forever be slightly disappointing that it didn't come out with all guns blazing and all bugs fixed but I, I for one have have some faith I have some patience but it's not infinite so we'll just watch the space <laughs> I will report but it will be in a couple of months time and certainly after the creators update comes out yeah. Um, one final thing, Rafe, um, the Microsoft Universal Folder, Foldable Keyboard, that's the official title. Now, this came out about a year ago, not long, I think, uh, and it's the same time frame as the Lumia 950, and it was £99, which is ridiculous for a Bluetooth keyboard. I, and, I, and I said at the time, look, how on earth can this be £100 um, in the UK? Uh, you can get Bluetooth keyboards off eBay and Amazon for 15 I know this is better made. I know it's a premium product, but come on, guys, £100. And I said at the time, it should be 50 and ideally 40 And guess what? In the last few weeks, um, it's now officially available, certainly on Amazon, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, it's now £40. And I think for £40, this is probably the premium folding Bluetooth keyboard and it genuinely does fold it folds small in the pocket it's very hard wearing it's completely waterproof as well you can spill fluid on it on the train or whatever uh, and it will survive it's got a, a, a multi-platform button whereby you can set up the fun- function keys and shortcuts to work with ios android or windows stroke windows phone um and it in summary, most of my original criticisms, and I'll put, put the link in the review in the show notes, most of those original criticisms would 
overshadowed by a huge margin by the fact that it was £99. And I was saying, you cannot be serious. Uh, and yet at £40, it's now down to what I was considering my ideal price. And I now think this is uh, possibly my biggest recommendation for a Bluetooth keyboard if someone wants to get a premium experience. Yep, I agree absolutely with that. I remember seeing this uh, about a year ago. And you know, just in terms of the materials and the design, it, it's obviously been well thought through. And um, especially if you're using uh, multiple platforms, it's a, a great thing to have. Of course, yeah. works with uh, tablet devices as well. I mean, people either swear by Bluetooth keyboards or quite happy using the on-screen ones. But if you're doing any serious amount of data entry, it's definitely a boon getting the on-screen keyboard off the screen because you just have more screen space to, to play with. And given yeah. that um, there's actually very strong versions of things like Office now across all mobile platforms, uh, it, it really works very well for that. And particularly, I think, when you're doing a bit of uh, document editing or Excel, PowerPoint, uh, maybe less so because I think that's more the, the input or certainly large amounts of text entry are, are less important there. Um, also, just in terms of the practicality of this, um, you know, the fact that it's uh, micro USB for charging, the fact that actually the, the keyboard itself is very good. Um, I would describe it for those that have tried the Surface keyboards. It, it kind of pulls a lot from there in terms of the styling, but also the way the keys operate. And, and that should absolutely be a compliment because, you know, they're great keyboards. Doesn't take up much space. I mean, I remember some of the early Bluetooth keyboards were which were a lot more cumbersome than this. This also feels like it will really stand up to kind of quite a lot of heavy usage yeah. without sort of crumbling, which again, you know, earlier folding keyboards tended to be quite delicate. So, yeah, at 40 quid, I think this is uh, one of those accessories that goes, yeah, it's, you know, you find people spending 20, 30 quid even on the mid-tier cases. Getting something like this really adds a, an extra bit of functionality Maybe not for everybody, really depending on how much text entry you do. Um, but, you know, this would be a very good thing to buy for maybe a weekend away. And then you can say, right, I'm leaving the laptop behind because if I do need to do something in emergency, yeah. uh, I'm, I, I'm able to do it. Uh, as may, maybe not for everyone, but road warriors will love it. Um, but I'd encourage other people to have a bit of a look at this and go, you know, does it fulfill the case? Like I say, leave, leaving your main laptop behind or working in a confined space like on a train or a plane, you know, this works really well. Yeah. OK, well, we'll draw this Insight podcast to a close there now. Hopefully I'll get Mr. Rafe Blandford on again next week. And then after that, I think we might be into MWC territory and all bets are off. But we've got a, a never ending flow of interesting guests and developers. And hopefully Rafe's been enjoying not being able to listen to some of these without actually having been on them and having heard all his own words before. So uh, watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always great, Steve, because I think, oh, great. What about, oh, and I haven't heard this one. That's going to be a, a pleasant <laughs> surprise. But I guess uh, goodbye from me, as always. Uh, thank you, Steve, for all his hard work and being a great uh, co-host. And please tune in next time. Yeah, bye for now. Bye.